0: this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the fiscal, financial, and human sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, we are talking about the road to retirement with Kelly Zaytunian, DVM, MBA, CERP, which is the Equine Rehabilitation Certificate Program. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. Management. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Decris Veterinary Products. Dr. Zaytunian is the owner of Starwood Equine Veterinary Service and Starwood Veterinary Consulting in California. She serves on the board of directors in the Northern California Association of Equine Practitioners, is a member of ICELP, and is the co-founder of the Sustainability and Equine Practice Seminars. If you want more information on those seminars, you can go to sepseminars.com. And we'll make sure to include that on the article on equimanagement Management, so you can just click right through and see what they're doing. So thank you, Dr. Zaytunian, for joining us today to talk about the road to retirement.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be part of the conversation.
0: For those of you who may not know uh, Dr. Zaytunian, she's only 12 years into her practice life. She's got eight years of practice ownership. She's got an MBA. She's got her SERP certification. She's a member of ICEL. She's created this sustainability and equine practice seminars. And in other words, she is very deep into the heart of her equine veterinary practice life. So, why, Dr. Zaitunian, do you think we should talk about retirement now?
1: Yeah. I, it's so important for us to be thinking about it and and me personally to factor it in, even though I am right in the heart and, you know, I'm not going to retire tomorrow. I'm not going to retire 10 years from now. But one of the things that I think that we all need to remember is, you know, practice life and being a veterinarian is so much a part of us, but it isn't entirely what defines us. And there are, many things that I love to do outside of work and outside of practicing and I'm limited by my commitment to you know my clients, my patients and all of that. So it's nice to start thinking, you know what does this look like for me? What additional time do I want to spend and and what resources do I need for that when it is time for me to take a step back and enjoy a little bit um, a little bit more free time.
0: So when do you think, equine veterinarians should start planning their retirement? Uh,
1: we, I, I joked with you earlier. I mean, yesterday, uh, when they get into vet school um, beforehand, if possible. Uh, and, and I say that jokingly, um, but also as the daughter of a certified financial planner. So it's really been ingrained in in me. Um, but I think money is such an awkward Thing And it's one of the areas that we as very well-educated individuals are not comfortable talking about, not comfortable thinking about. Um, And so, you know, it needs to be part of the conversation, not only in our personal lives, but in our professional lives so that we're factoring in those needs as we think about our salaries, what we charge people, what our plans for practice are.
0: Well, let's, let's break this down just a little bit then. So let's let's look at our practice. I mean, you, like you said, you are in the heart of building your practice and you've got a lot of good years behind you and a, a lot of more good years ahead of you. So what do you think veterinarians need to think about as their practice moving forward as far as retirement goes?
1: Thank you. Yeah, I think... If we're looking at it from the perspective, maybe of the practice owner, as an example of what they need to be thinking about, uh, I think, you know, not only do we need to think personally, what kind of funds do we need and what does our retirement personally look like, but what happens to the practice? What is our succession plan? And uh, the two come hand in hand and can really be um, mutually beneficial. So, I was looking at these numbers and uh, 44% of AAP members are more than 50 years of age. I think there's um, 60, about 60 people that equine veterinarians retiring a year and about 20 entering the workforce. And so there's a disconnect there. And, um, and it's a problem, you know, we as an equine industry, have a problem. We are going to run out of practitioners. But if we're, you know, me as a practice owner or anybody as a practice owner is thinking, how can I bring somebody on board, bring an associate along uh, and find a way where as I'm ready to start backing off of the work that I'm doing and my time, I can continue practicing and enjoying, you know, the client interactions and patient care, while also bringing somebody new into the fold that I can turn the business over to earn money for the sale of my practice for, and then give that individual a leg up in, you know, earning income in addition to their veterinary salary. Um, I I think that that's just an important thing to do. And unfortunately, we see so often that These practice owners, when they get to, you know, closer to retirement, they just think there's no value in this solo practice or small doctor practice, and they're just going to start turning clients away and slowly retire as their patients retire, and That is evidenced by the recent AVMA AAP economic report that shows that as we as equine practitioners compared to the AVMA numbers in small animal practice, our salaries, rather than continuing to grow as our time in practice increases, it actually drops off exponentially to the point that practice owners uh, with 50 or more years of experience in equine on average earn $100,000 less than practice owners um, or practitioners with 50 or more years of experience in small animal. So it's a staggering number. I mean, talk about retirement planning, $100,000 can get you some pretty nice vacations. Uh, so we, we need to do something better. We need to change the model.
0: So how, how do you bring people along? I mean, I know you have associates in your practice. Number one, it is really hard to find someone to hire right now. And I think, you know, you you quoted an interesting statistic to me before we started the podcast about how many vets we lose in the first five years of practice.
1: Absolutely. So we are losing 50% of students who come out as equine practitioners within their first five years. Uh, And there's a number of reasons that people are leaving. It's the long hours, the emergency coverage, uh, the physical, you know, toll of being an equine practitioner. Uh, It can be practice culture and practice life and also mental health and well-being. And so, uh, you know, that's a big problem. The the other one that is, you know, most uh, complementary to our conversation today is the debt that they graduate with. And, you know, if we're talking about what salaries look like at the end of practice life, we can also look at what salaries look like at the beginning of practice life and students graduating and going into equine practice are earning about $25,000 less a year as they enter, you know, enter into practice. So you know, it just, it's a no brainer. We're going to lose people if they can't afford to pay their student loans and also start contributing into their retirement or a home or other investments that are part of, you know, what makes us whole and, um, you know, kind of keeps us going.
0: DECRA Veterinary Products is proud to sponsor Equal Management's The Business of Practice podcast. Decra's equine product line includes Osphos, Clotonate injection, Orthokine Vet Irep 10 and 60, Osteokine PRP, Equidome Gel, Domperidone, the Vetivex line of parenteral fluids, Vicox EQ joint supplement, and a comprehensive line of topical dermatologic products. The recent addition of Zymeta, Diaperone injection, further expands Decra's equine offerings. For more information about DECRA's products, please visit DECRA-US.com. So how do you bring people along? How do you find an associate and how do you pick the right associate for your practice? Because your practice is different from, you know, the, the next practice in, in the next town. And how do you, how do you bring them along so that they become people who want to buy into the practice?
1: I think I've been, I will admittedly say that I've been very lucky. My first hire reached out to me because she was moving to the area. Um, and my most recent hire uh, was a technician with me before she went to vet school. And so I, I admittedly, there's some luck there with hiring. But the, the additional part of bringing people along and finding them is, forming great relationships with referral hospitals that have internship programs. Another one of the associates was an intern locally, and I had a great rapport with her and, you know, knew her practice style. She knew my practice style, and that was quite nice. Um, so it's, you know, that's the step in the finding the person. The next step in attracting them and being competitive when, Uh, The rate of job seekers to jobs available is, I think, something like 12 to 1 for the veterinary industry as a whole, a little bit lower from a doctor to a position, But still, you know, the employees have choices. The veterinarians that are looking for jobs, they're taking the pick of what they'd like. And what they're looking for is shared if not equitable emergency coverage appropriate compensation that is you know comparable to their small animal counterparts they're looking for the ability to actually take some time away from work and have a life outside of work and be encouraged to spend time outside of work and then they're also looking for opportunities to grow and have income that will support them paying off their student loans, which are, you know, I think upwards of $200,000 on average for people graduating right now. So um, I, you know, I have an attractive employment compensation package and, and the support, and we are a team that really encourages everybody having their time outside of work. And then the other part of it, of keeping employees involved and all kind of courting them and figuring out, you know, are these people that I, I want to bring on as partners is really bringing them into the fold with the decision making process. So we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, what do we do within our practice? What are our protocols? What boundaries for call area do we want to have? How far are we willing to drive to see these clients? Um It's hard to do because everybody has an opinion. And at the end of the day, you, you know, there's more than just what we really want. It's what makes sense from a financial perspective. But I think giving employees some autonomy and some skin in the game with the decision making factor can really help to, you know, keep them Loyal and dedicated to the practice, while also really getting a sense of where their values lie and if they align with yours, which which can help for you know determining if it's a long term
0: good fit. And you told me an interesting thing um, that your parents are financial advisors, so yeah. you kind of have had this. Drilled into you, and you did mention earlier one of the unfortunate problems is when, when young veterinarians graduate, they forget that they're going into a small business, that sometimes becomes a big business. Yes. So personally, how do you how do you need to plan to stay in equine practice so you can retire, or maybe you're a younger veterinarian? How do you plan to have the money to buy in to a practice?
1: So for the, the first question of how do you, you know, personally budget and plan for that retirement and and that's the key word is budgeting. So, uh, when I graduated, one of my primary goals was paying off my debt. And you can probably have other guests on the show that say, don't pay off the debt. You know, money is cheap to borrow right now. For me, I needed to, I needed to pay it off. And the way that I paid it off was not buying a brand new car, living in a smaller apartment that I could rent and and not have a ton of new fees that, that went out. And so I think, uh, we have to make a conscious decision about what we value as far as money spent or money saved, and you know, come up with that plan and honor it. And it will look different from person to person, but I think the goal uh, is something like 20% of your salary in savings and retirement is part of that. So um, I really doubled down and tried to live. As frugally as I could in the state of California, uh, you know, to, to pay off those debts and start fresh and then start squirreling the money away.
0: And then, how do you plan as an associate? How do you talk to your associates that you see they have an interest? Because not all veterinarians want to be practice owners so that they can have buy in to a clinic.
1: I had a conversation with the vet students from UC Davis and did a presentation for their small business group, and it was really exciting to see how many of them had a keen interest in ownership. And the discussion that we had was essentially, you know, knowing your different options for practice purchase. You know, you can start a practice outright on your own. You can buy into a practice that is just for sale on the AAEP website. There's a number of them right now uh, that you can just cold call and potentially make a move and buy into. Um, and then there's the clinics that you go into, and maybe there's partnership as part of the option in your employment package. I think being very open with employers about what your goals are and having a candid conversation with them about if they are in a place to offer partnership or if that's something that they've thought about uh, it's really a benefit to be thinking those things through. Uh, and then I think it's really important to, again to remember if you are going to buy into a practice and you're looking to you know get a loan from the bank to buy in, The bank is not going to really care about the goodwill component and value of the practice. uh, And they are going to care about your debt to income ratio, the debt of your student loans being that primary factor. So uh, for any students out there listening, if you don't have to take out all of the loans that are offered to you, don't take them out and come up with a plan for paying them off in an appropriate manner so that you can really reduce uh, that debt-to-income ratio, and be uh, a viable applicant for, for a bank loan.
0: And that's that's some good advice. And you had one more piece when you and I were talking ahead of time. If you are a young veterinarian, even a vet student, you suggested that they hire a professional to guide them in their business decisions. How do you go about finding someone, and and what should you expect from them?
1: I was lucky enough uh, to have my father really, you know, guiding me and, and being a great bit of support. And I realized that that is not what everyone has uh, on speed dial, but a great piece of advice that I received, um, from Isaiah Douglas, who is a certified financial planner and, um, has his own podcast about success. I really appreciated some things that he said, um, and, and that includes finding an individual who at least understands the industry, you know, even from a 30,000-foot um, view so that they, they kind of get the ins and outs of compensation packages and things like that. Uh, and then it can also be really helpful to find somebody who you pay at a flat rate versus an individual who's being paid for every, you know, Dollar you spend or dollar that's traded and things like that. Having a fixed expense one helps you budget, especially as you are getting started and maybe don't have as much disposable income. There's less surprises and um, the incentives for that individual representing you are solely based on what you need and how you're doing, not on the the trades and the the activity that they drum up within your accounts. And then finding somebody that you're comfortable with uh, from the knowledge standpoint and, you know, do you hit it off with them and do they explain things in a way that interests and and is acceptable to you? And um, do you feel kind of emotionally safe because talking about money can be very difficult. Again, we as a business uh, are not really big at talking about it. And um, so you need to find somebody that you're comfortable with, because if you are not comfortable, then you're not going to open up and share your goals and enable them to do the best that they can for you.
0: Well, you have, you have given quite a bit of good information um, so far in this podcast. Is there anything that you would like to add to this from your own personal experience on your journey?
1: I would say my one piece of advice, you know, is of course save and make a plan and budget for retirement, but don't forget to find time to enjoy practice life. And, you know, you don't have to wait to retirement to have a good time and see your family and do the things that you love. So, As you're budgeting and building in your plan, make sure that it also factors in time for yourself and time for your family. I think I probably erred on the side of not doing that when I first started because I was so concerned about proving my worth and uh, saving up that I've turned down some opportunities. So save, but give yourself some time for fun and for the things that bring you joy
0: some good advice and a a smart thing to balance your life as you go along, not just plan on enjoying yourself when you retire because you never know what's happening tomorrow. So thank you, Dr. Zaytunian, for joining us today on the Business of Practice. And we want to thank our audience for joining us. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Decor Veterinary Products. So I invite you to visit equimanagement.com or your favorite podcast network to hear each episode of the Business of Practice. And if you have any questions or suggestions, you can send an email to me at, kbrown at equinenetwork.com. The Business of Practice podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC.